Guys, it's actually August now, and we realize the summer is slipping through our fingers, and it's been such a wonderful summer. And related to that, I woke up this morning with that song stuck on my head that goes, This was a time to remember. And I assume it's a song about just having a wonderful life and just special moments that you want to hold in your heart forever. But I couldn't remember who sang it. Now, ask John and Starley, who sings that song? And John said the app Shazam can actually identify a song based on you just singing it yourself. Because otherwise you would have the song. And if you had the song, you would probably know what it was. John, if I'm at a restaurant and I hear the hottest new song and I don't know what it is, that's when you use Shazam. Yes. In pre-COVID times, I would go to a bar to have a drink and chat with my fellows, with my compatriots. And a song would come on. And I'd be like, "Ooh, I just simply must know who sings this marvelous song. And I would hold Shazam up and it would tell me. All right. How are you using Shazam? I'm not using Shazam. I'm just using it in my memory. Whoa. Well, I'm going to do Shazam right now, guys. This is going to be really exciting. Tap to Shazam. Okay, here we go. This is the time to remember. Oh, I know what it is. I know what it is. All right, no result. We didn't quite catch that, says Shazam. Shazam needs the actual song because it analyzes waveform. It can't listen to my old gravelly voice and reverse engineer it and be like, mm, sine wave, 50 kilohertz. Sing it better. Oh, I'm sorry, Starly. Here I go. <laughs> Sing it better. This is the time to remember. This is the time to remember. This is the time to remember. That was better. Thank you. Did it work? Anything? It's not even it's not even <laughs> acknowledging that I have entered data into it. Wow, Shazam. Woo, I've had calls like that in the past. Like, oh, were you still talking? I didn't realize we were still having a phone call. What song is it, John? It's Billy Joel. Oh, you're this right. This is the time to remember. The Billy Joel fans are tearing their hair out right now, listening to us, going like, it's time to remember off Divorce Fantasy Volume 6 by Billy Joel, you <laughs> you idiots. Have you never been to Long Island? I saw this weekend that there was this huge party on Southampton with um, some band, the Smokers. There was this great... <laughs> John is referring to this incredible thing that happened that feels like, yeah, I guess we're in a J.G. Ballard novel now. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. There's no turning back. It's J.G. Ballard all the way to the end. There was a huge dance party, an outdoor concert on the Hamptons, which is where all the most virtuous and successful Americans congregate every summer. There was a DJ set by the CEO of Goldman Sachs. Normal. Obviously, they have nothing better to think about than compiling their favorite bangers for a fun party. And the headliner was the um, EDM duo, the Chainsmokers, who used to dominate the charts with their uplifting hits. And they had a, they all had a wonderful time on the on the Hamptons. And so we just say, stay blessed, y'all. That's we're so happy that you guys are able to have fun right now. Don't worry about the rest of us singing half-remembered Billy Joel lyrics into our phone, hoping we'll get a positive hit. We all celebrate life in our own ways. EDM not to be confused with EPM. Oh, that's right. EDM is electronic dance music. EPM is election profit makers, which you are listening to now. I'm David Reese, and I'm joined by my friends Starley and John. Hello, guys. Hi. Hey. I'm taking the windscreen off. Wow, okay. What are you drinking, wine? Are you drinking red wine? What is that? John, was that red wine? Oh my gosh, we're going to have fun today. Buckle up. Woo, in a stemless wine glass. 
That looked like a Cab Franc up in here. It's actually Diet Coke. American wine. This is our Take No Prisoners episode. We're all a little bit drunk. (laughs) We all started drinking wine this morning. Just kidding. Why not? People wouldn't be mad at that. People in the pandemic start drinking at 10 a.m. Oh my gosh. I wish the government would give me permission to start drinking at 10 a.m. I would be like such a little cadet throwing up a salute. (laughs) Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Happy to help, sir. This is private... Kid Midas reporting for duty. Glug, 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 glug. 10 a.m. Hitting that three buck chuck. David, do you know we can't see your face at all? The new microphone. It's like your mouth is being censored. You look like you have a TV for a head. (laughs) It's also like a mask. Yeah. The government has tried to muzzle me with my huge new windscreen for my fancy new microphone that I trust and hope our listeners can appreciate the deeper timbre of my voice as I spit these truths of fire that bring the Oberlin College Student Council to its knees, all snowflakes, feminazis, and woke scolds are hereby on notice. It also looks like you're maybe giving like a drive-in order, or you have to talk into that speaker. Welcome, McDonald's. How may I help you? Yeah, I would like an one order of, <laughs> if we have a Black History Month, why don't we have a White History Month? And I'll also get a side of fries. Okay, pull around to the window, pull around in my huge car with my truck nuts proudly displayed, (laughs) dragging on the asphalt, all my hottest bumper stickers. Mines are like parachutes. They rarely function if they're not open. Otherwise, you smash onto the ground. I got my Adam Carolla triggered comedy concert DVD bumper sticker. I took an Adam Carolla DVD and took it out of the slip case and pasted it to the back of my truck to make it look like a bumper sticker. And then I have this other thing that says, COVID, learn the truth. Enough government <laughs> lies. Go to www.earthlink.net forward slash COVID truth slash Kid Midas private chat dot DM slash com. Earthlink. Nice. This is what it's like actually being on a morning show. This is terrific. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone just yaps and yaps and yaps. I guess we're just delaying the inevitable. This is the day that I've been dreading, but we have to get through it. Can't go around it. Got to get through it. John and Starley have spent the previous week. <laughs> oh, Lord, have mercy. John and Starley, against all my exhortations, went so deep into the VP market this past week. Our text thread became completely inscrutable to me. It was like they were talking in code and I had no idea what was going on. It was like being on a text thread with two of your friends who are on some crazy drug and you're stone cold sober sitting there like, I have no idea what these yahoos are talking about. John and Starley, what happened? What happened to you guys this past week? Take it away, Starley. Um, Well, the VP market really came to life this last week. Oh, yeah. It was a lot of action. It was a real opportunity for wave writing because every day it, it seemed a different candidate was in the lead. We had a lot of Susan Rice. We had a lot of Karen Bass. We had one day where Rice took the lead. She surged and actually took the lead for a few hours and then just absolutely collapsed. It was predicted at its best and worst. Very exciting. Lots of flips, lots of uh, misdirection and pumping and reverse pumping of various candidates, people buying on the rumor. I think there were probably a lot of newbies in there that, you know, got taken to the cleaners because they didn't know who was 
telling the truth and who wasn't. The big thing that happened to set this all off was the quote unquote leak of a political article. The Politico, yeah. Yeah, that said Biden had chosen Kamala. And a lot of pumpers took advantage of that saying, this is the real thing. This is the real thing. It's clearly been embargoed. Even though it seems so not real. It might as well have said TK, TK, TK all over it. Right. But I think a lot of people believed that it was an actual embargoed story. And that's what sent her through the roof. So you're right. That's That was the day that Rice had taken the lead briefly. And then that came out and Harris went up to like 63 cents. And David begrudgingly on the text thread, look at David perk up when I say his name. Oh, someone who's interesting, huh? Uh, hello? Yes, person of interest, go on. David on the text thread said, I'm going to get in and then I'm going to sell her at 50. And she was at like 41 or something then. And we were like, it's not possible that she can get to 50. And then she was at 50 within the next 10 minutes. And then she was at 64 that day. Thank you for acknowledging my truth, Starly, which was that at the end of last week's episode, my bet of the week was, all right, I'll jump back into this godforsaken VP market. And I bought shares in Kamala Harris, which I have previously held because Kamala Harris is going to be Biden's vice presidential nominee. And all this other stuff is sound and fury signifying nothing, if I can quote Billy Joel. So indeed, I got back in for Kamala Harris and set a sell price at 50 cents. John Kimball said it'll never reach 50. It'll never reach 50. I was like, all right, fine. I'll set it at 47. And two minutes later, all my shares were gone. And I was like, that's it. I did my- I didn't say it would never reach 50. I said I wouldn't set it for 50 because if it gets to 50, it's going to go much higher than that, which it did. Well, that's not the truth that I heard. Oh, okay. Because of that political leak, it also affected the market of the timing of Biden's announcement. Right. It, it flipped multiple times over there. God, I wish I had negative risk over there because would have made good money. But that was like the only time I effectively rode the wave where I had had cheap stock in that timing of Biden's announcement and I sold it when it was high before it plunged back down. Nice. I think Starly, this was the education of Starly Kind this week. I think Starly learned a lot. I did. It was great. After 40 episodes of our Predicted-themed podcast, Starly Kine mm-hmm. has learned how to use Predicted. You know, there's like Book Smart. There's Book Smart and there's Beach Smart. And you're now riding waves. You're Beach Smart. <laughs> yeah. I found the button that shows me when I'm winning and losing, which is a very valuable button to discover. <laughs> Which no one had told me about for 40 episodes of Election Profit Makers. Well, why don't you tell the listeners now? Share what you've learned. Where well, is sure this magical button? Know. Andrea doesn't know. I'll talk to my friend. Ant. This is a direct message to my friend Andrea. You have to click on Max Payout, and then it shows you how much you'll win for each candidate that you've bet money in. For most of this time, when I've been tending to my VP garden, I've been losing money even if the candidate I bet on won which is very frustrating. And there are times in the linked market where you can set it up so you actually do win no matter who it is. But then there's other times where the market fluctuates and you make a few mistakes and then no matter what happens, you're going to lose. And then you just try to set it up so, well, I'll just try to lose as little amount as possible which is not fun, but it happens to even experienced traders. I think John Kimball put it best when you guys were at the height of your mania on the text thread. And at one point, John said, this is exhausting, not worth all the effort for pennies. I've made $400 this week, but again, that's like $3 an hour. Starly, (laughs) there are just too many unknowns. Rice never dropped at all today, even when Bass surged. I hate rice. This market is going to be the end of me. 
<laughs> you guys should have done what I did. You should have made a little money off Kamala Harris and then just walked away. No, you did great, David. Everyone did well this I week. I know I did great. I did better than both of you put together. We're not done. Trust me, we're done. Yeah, we might have two more weeks. I don't think the VP choice is going to have any effect on the election at all. Doesn't make one whit of difference. It has relevance in, in, in terms of the direction the party could be heading in the next four years. And it has some relevance in, in uniting the party in some sense. But I don't care about any of that. I just care about making money. No, we understand you're a sociopath. I'm talking to Starley right now. Okay. I'm trying to convince Starley that none of this matters. The reason I don't have more Kamala shares is because I don't really want it to be Kamala, which is why I keep she keeps being the weight that is costing me money. And now this week, because I wanted to balance out my little max payout sheet, I started to invest in Kamala in a way that I never had before. It was This was the week where my I, I stopped betting with my heart. All right, here we go. Did your, how would we put this? Did your amoral quantitative interest in Kamala as a financial instrument bleed over into your actual opinions of her as a candidate? Did your literal investment in Kamala change your emotional investment in Kamala? The thing that changed my emotional investment in Kamala this week was a conversation I had with my friend where he compared her to Hillary and said that some of the choices Kamala has made, she thought she had to make. And that did put her in perspective a little bit for me. Relatedly, I'm not a super fan of Kamala Harris. All these quotes that came out from these 200-year-old men on Biden's search committee like Chris Dodd I hated that. Being mortally offended that Kamala Harris went after Joe Biden in a primary debate. That was the worst. And that she wasn't sufficiently apologetic. Come on, guys. That came out about Kamala this week. But then there was also this campaign to say, oh, you don't want Kamala because she wants to be president. Are you afraid of an ambitious woman? And I feel like that distorts why people don't want it to be Kamala. I have no problem with Kamala's ambition. You need ambitious. <laughs> yeah. And maybe her ambition has made her ties to why she felt she had to be ambitious in a certain way. Mm-hmm. But I certainly am not upset with her wanting to be president. Let's talk about healthy choices. John and Starley, do you have a healthy relationship with the VP market right now? I feel like mine's still healthy. John? No, I wouldn't say it's healthy. At this point, I don't I don't think I have any particular insight into what's going to happen in the VP market. I'm just trying to ride some waves. And that's why I did a lot of trading this past week. I made $400. So I'm like, you know what? If I lose money on the pick in the end, I'll probably be ahead unless it's someone like Michelle Obama. Starley, I think you you made a lot of progress this week and you learned a lot. And I think think that's something to celebrate. No, I know. Going forward, should I have sold my Karen Bass when she went up? Wow, she doesn't even want to. She doesn't even want to <laughs> rest on her laurels and, and acknowledge her own improvement. She's like, no, I got to keep going. I got Yeah, I know. I graduated from college. So I got to go get my PhD now. Come on, we got to go. We got to go. Right, right. So, what do you want to know about Bass? What's your question about Bass? I just because that was <laughs> that was when you had, were like gone for five hours on the text thread and you weren't answering me, and I'm sure you were very busy. Oh my God, Starley was like, John, where are you? John, where are you? I'm trying to ask you a question about Bass. Where are you? Where are you? I was like, I'm so glad I'm not in this psychodrama. I'm just over here chilling with a better call Saul. I'm watching Better Call Saul too. Don't do any spoilers because I think I'm behind you. Saul's not his real name. Massive spoiler. I had to say it though. I think the smart thing to do is probably to sell half of your position, to look at the chart, to see the range that she's moving in. But there's always a possibility that if you sell, then then they just run away from you and then you never get a chance to buy back in. And we're getting closer to that because we are in a, in a situation where any day now, he could be 
making that pick. Clearly, because she did go back down, yes, you should have sold. But I don't know if I would have known that. You said on the text thread, why was all this pumping and dumping happening this week? Were there things outside of the leaked articles and all the op-eds that made this happen? For people that aren't familiar with Predicted or they're sort of new to it, I've said at times that you can get valuable information out of the comments section. Definitely on Sunday morning, there was a huge pump going on by various people that uh, I won't mention by name, but they're known to others on on Predicted to do some pumping. And they were really, really pushing Harris saying that there was a flight she was taking to Delaware, which I don't know if that was even true or not. But even if it was, they were just saying that's a big deal. That means that the pick is imminent. And so there was just a lot of really exciting pumping, which was pushing Harris up really high. At the same time, everything else dropped. Bass dropped to six cents. Rice was down to 16 cents at that point. And that was a great opportunity for those people to pick up all those shares really cheaply or to sell their Harris positions. You can't trust anything that's being said in the comments. I would never trust anything that was being said in the comments. That's good. Who do you now think it's going to be? Uh, probably Harris still. Oh, my God. <laughs> so now my number one reason I don't want it to be Harris is because of David. I don't even care about her prosecution record. I don't even care about the three strikes. It's going to be Harris. It's going to be Harris. I don't even have any money left in this market. There's been moments when I've been on Predict It and I've thought about David, him saying, a hand is a hand. There's nothing else but a hand. That's all we have is a hand. And just it just echoes in my mind. And I so badly want to prove you wrong. That your hand is not your hand. Referring to the classic text, Uncertainty by Ludwig Wittgenstein. Yes. The next, the new edition is just going to be a picture of Kamala Harris on the cover. I'm going to go crazy. I just want there still to be a, the possibility of surprise somewhere. There is no possibility of surprise. There is no possibility. The worldwide pandemic that the United States has let run roughshod over its country, that used up all our surprise points. Like, oh, you got a surprise. <laughs> We're living with the surprise, <laughs> but that's your surprise. There's no more surprises. There will be further atrocities. There will be further crimes. They just won't be a surprise. There's only bad surprises. There's never good surprises. And it's why right now the only person I lose money on if she gets it is Kamala. And I think it's because it's not because I want to oh. spite you, actually, David. It's not against you. It's just I want to believe there can be a good surprise. You want to get a push alert on your phone from the New York Times that says, in a surprise move, Joe Biden picks Elizabeth Warren as his vice president, comma, totally owning local loser David Reese. In a surprise move, Biden picks Warren, comma, Karen Bass, and Susan Rice. Yeah, that would be a surprise. A three-headed hydra of vice presidents. Yeah. How would you react if Joe Biden picked me as vice president? I would lose money, so I wouldn't like that. Oh, yeah. People would definitely be losing money on Predicted. In stunning blow to Predicted investors, Biden picks... Unknown David Reese as vice presidential pick. Quote, I just feel good about this kid, Biden said. He seems like he knows what he's doing. Any final thoughts about the vice presidential market? It's going to get wild the next few weeks. Oh, Lord. So I finished my education right at the exact right time. You're on your own now. No, no, Whoa. no, 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 no. Yes, John. I like this. Take your life back, John. Don't be tethered to Starley's beck and call. Starly, you must fly the nest now. No, no, no. Only thing I will concede is we can take it off the group text thread. Okay, I'm into that. Let's get to some listener questions. We have a listener question from Jenny. 
I would love John's opinion on the skyline of Batumi, Georgia. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Batumi, Georgia, quote unquote, the Las Vegas of the Black Sea. And generally, I'd like his opinions on whether, this is a great question that I'd never considered, on whether a Ferris wheel is a net positive or negative for a skyline. Is it cheesy, nouveau riche, or whimsical? Does a Ferris wheel signal a certain time period? Jenny, thank you for this question. John, what do you think about this Batumi, Georgia skyline with its attendant Ferris wheel? Well, I like the skyline. I I looked up its ranking and in the Council on Tall Buildings and Urban Habitat, and they ranked the top 200 skylines, and it is actually ranked in the top 200, tied for 183 with Barcelona and Auckland, Atlantic City, cities like that. And looking it up, yeah, I think it's very pretty. Obviously, the water does a huge amount to help it. Water does a lot of heavy lifting when it comes to a skyline. That's true. As far as a Ferris wheel, I enjoy a Ferris wheel. Every year I go to the state fair. Yeah. Wait. Claire and I go on a Ferris wheel. You're willing to say this on the record, that you uh, yes, personally yes, yes, enjoy yes. a Ferris wheel? I do. I went to the World's Fair in 1982 as a kid in Knoxville, Tennessee, not far mm-hmm. from here, and rode on what was then the largest Ferris wheel in the world. And that was really cool. And like I said, I go every year and ride the Ferris wheel at the state fair, which is canceled this year, which sucks. But in terms of a Ferris wheel as part of a skyline, I have a bias towards muscular type buildings. Ferris wheels are kind of spindly and they seem almost like they're temporary. Because we associate them with fairs that come and go, that are set up and then a week later they're taken down and they drive to the next location. Right. I think it's a cool thing to get on you're riding it and you're kind of within the skyline. So from that sense, it's kind of cool. But as part of the skyline, I think it would only work in certain cities. It seems like garnish. seems like the garnish on a skyline. Parsley. The Ferris wheel is the parsley, the sprig of parsley. Yeah. It's a permanent Ferris wheel. Like the one in London. Remember when London built their big Ferris wheel for the millennium? Yeah, the eye. I don't know, London. This is the city of Charles Dickens. And you're going to plop a Ferris wheel down in the middle of it? Like it's a children's restaurant? Why don't you put a huge ball pit? on the Thames while you're at it. I mean, Charles Dickens wrote a lot of books about children. Yeah, but those children were working like 80-hour weeks. Come on, they didn't have time (laughs) for Ferris wheels. They were too engaged with their labor, picking pockets. But people should look up Batumi. There's some other really cool buildings. I gave the Batumi Georgia skyline a 6 out of 10. That's fair. Last week, we were talking about the Metallica album Injustice for All and why there's no bass on it and why it sounds so cool. And then we got all these bass players writing in. They've all taken umbrage at my assessment of this double album. So we're going to read from one bass player. This is from Zach. He says, I'm a new listener. I'm all caught up and I anticipate each new episode. But I'm also a bassist. I was listening to the latest episode and I'm considering filing a motion to censor you for your outburst regarding the removal of bass from music. After all, where would we be without the father instrument? The father, he made that up. I don't think anyone, I don't even think Charles Mingus would call the bass the father instrument. Okay, then Zach, in an attempt to school me about the story of why there's no bass on Injustice for All, what does he do? He cuts and pastes the Wikipedia article about it, as if I haven't read this Wikipedia article 20 times over the last 20 years. You think I don't have this Wikipedia article about why Jason Newstead got cut out of the mix for Injustice for All? You think, you think I don't read that every year along with like a child's Christmas in Wales? Like, I know this text, Zach. You're not telling me anything new. 
about how Lars and James said that their ears were all fucked up from touring and so they just turned everything up so they could hear it and by the end they forgot that there was no bass in it and they've always talked about remixing it and how it made Jason Newstead depressed and he was already feeling insecure because he was replacing Cliff Burton who was the recently deceased and dearly missed founding bass player for Metallica. You think I don't know all this, Zach? Then he makes a comparison to removing the bass from Injustice for All. He says... Well, can you imagine if you turned down Long John Silver in your mix of an Election Profit Makers episode? John, he's comparing you, and I guess it's a flattering comparison. He's comparing you to the bass. And he's saying that turning down the bass in Injustice for All would be the same thing as turning down you in an episode of Election Profit Makers. I am the bass. You are kind of like the bass in a number of ways. One is that you have the lowest voice out of the three of us. Starley and I both sound like screeching lead guitars. Whereas you have the soothing tones and the woody timbre of a bass. You also hold it down. I mean, you are the anchor of this podcast. You are the steady heartbeat that allows Starley and I to go on our flights of fancy because we can always come back to you on the ones holding down that bass-like rhythm. Hmm. We would never take you out of the mix. And frankly, for Zach to make this comparison, I've half a mind to ban Zach from listening to this podcast. But, Zach, I'm not going to ban you yet, because when you finally get around to asking a question, it's actually a terrific question. Starley and John, listen to the conclusion of Zach's email. He says, anyway, being new to the predicted world, what does post-election wagering look like? Should I assume that there's a crescendo at the election, or will there be more high seas to sail after the election? We never considered this during our first season because we quit our podcast the day after the election. But, John, I would like to know from you. What happens to predict it after the election? Will there still be waves to ride? Yeah, things will definitely slow down. But also these markets, like what's the tipping point? Uh, what's the margin of victory in particular states? Those things are going to take months to resolve as ballots are coming in. They're still counting in New York and the New York primary. So there will be r- waves to ride related to the election for weeks and months after November 4th. There will be waves to ride for weeks to come. Don't put away your board. There's still some fun to be had in the ocean in Batumi, Georgia. Babe, I gotta say that you're looking gorgeous. That was good. Will John Kimball be riding those waves after the election? John Kimball will have his thunder broom out. Shout out to Mike Watt, the sage of San Pedro, and he'll be like, I don't think so. I'm riding these waves up. You know how Mike Watt always sings like a pirate? He's always like, well, I'm riding these waves. He's a stop sign. Yeah, exactly. These are the times we remember. (laughs) I'm in such a good mood that we're done talking about the vice presidential market. It's like being a little kid and your parents are like, tonight we're just going to talk about broccoli. We're just going to have a nice long talk about broccoli. You're sitting there squirming in your seat like- This will be the last week. In the words of Metallica, to live is to die. And I realize that for a lot of our listeners, me talking about Metallica is like Starley and John talking about the VP market. This is the last week we will ever talk about Metallica. There are so many other terrific heavy metal bands out there, and there's no reason to keep focusing on the behemoth that is Metallica. But I will say that our Patreon, Paul, who rewrote (laughs) the entire song one to be about Predict It, Paul, we have a tip of the hat to you. This is incredible. If one wasn't a seven and a half minute long song with long stretches of instrumentals in between the lyrics, we would probably record our own version of this using your lyrics. But we'll just do the opening here. I cannot bet on anything. 
Can't tell if word markets were just dreams. Lint in my pockets, I'm a scream. My lack of funds keeps stopping me. Approval markets are through with me. Gains in my account I cannot see. That there's not much left of RCP. Guess I'm going to Vegas now. Wow. Incredible. I mean, it goes on and on. Paul, thank you. Okay, another question. Andrew writes in, in the latest episode of Election Profit Makers, David revealed his high interest in tracking down tape recorders. Please expound on this. Portable, home, audio, video, specific brands, for what purpose, to what end? Personally, I traded bootleg tapes and CDs in the 90s and in the aughts. Every time someone brings up tape recorders, I think of trading tapes and I get all nostalgic. Plus, I like gear and hardware and can nerd out for hours. Finally, I want to thank you for educating me on Predict It. Today, I wrote a VP nominee wave and am now up to a $50 portfolio on a $40 initial investment. Oh, and he used our promo code EPM20 to get uh, matching funds of $20. So he's doing great. He puts $20 into Predict It. Now he has $50. All right, Andrew, I respect you. Now, John and Starley, sit back. This is what I've been waiting for all morning. David's Revenge. Now I'm going to talk about tape recorders and how to fix tape recorders. And you guys are going to have to focus and listen. So, listeners, I got interested in circuit bending. and John left. Wow, he literally just (laughs) walked out. Unbelievable. (laughs) Wow. I'm still listening. I'm still listening. Wow. Listener, just so you know, we're looking at an empty room. John Kimball has stood up. He has walked out of the room. Man, I had a whole discourse ready to go about the difference between belt drive and rim drive reel-to-reel recorders and how to make cassette tape loops. I'm still here. And what happened when I followed up on Starley's lead about all those abandoned tape recorders and how spooky and scary it was. I'm just a piece of broccoli waiting to hear you talk about the tape recorders. Okay. So last week, I got really excited because I was talking about tape recorders and Starley said, oh, you know there's a huge garage that just has a thousand broken tape recorders, right? And I was like, what? I literally later that day went and found those tape recorders. Here's the situation. (laughs) It was not exactly what I was imagining. I went to the address that Starley had given me and I kept checking my phone like, is this right? Can this really be right? It's just a garage with a couple abandoned vehicles on either side of it in a pretty nice residential neighborhood in LA. And I'm looking all around like, I don't see the tape recorders. Where are the tape recorders? Then I saw a sticky note attached to the garage door. And I thought, oh, maybe this is from the owner saying, if anyone's interested in all my tape recorders, call this number. But it wasn't. Someone who was interested in buying the lot in desperation had just left a sticky note on the garage that said, please, if you're interested in selling, call me, Tony, at this number, blah, 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 blah. I will just buy everything as is. You don't need to clean it. Obviously, this is someone who's holding a piece of property that is really valuable because it's in a fancy residential neighborhood and all that's on it is a garage and some old There's like an old camper van and a car. So I'm looking all around like, where are the tape recorders? Where are the tape recorders? It's the middle of the day, so it's dead calm. There's nobody out on the streets. And I say, okay, I'm going to go around the back of the garage. I'm going to trespass. And that's something that I don't do. I wouldn't have done that if I didn't know there was a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. Lucky Charms cereals. Thank you for sponsoring Election Profit Makers. I go around to the back of the garage, and I already feel like, I know I shouldn't be doing this. Like, I'm totally just trespassing in a sketchy garage. Like who knows who's here? I go around to the back of the garage. There is a table not filled with the abundant variety of tape recorders that I had imagined in my wildest fantasies. There are about 20 identical Yamaha tape recorders (laughs) that were designed for actually data storage. They're not designed for like home use of recording music and stuff. 
They're for old school computers when they used to store data on audio tape. So then I faced a dilemma. Does my passion for collecting and trying to repair old tape recorders, how does that balance out with the fact that I felt like, I don't know if these are up for grabs. If these were up for grabs, I feel like they would be in front of the garage on the table with a huge sign that said, up for grabs, enjoy these tape recorders. They're behind the garage. I don't know how, Starly, your friend came across them. It's her neighbor. I see. Oh, they're definitely behind a garage. They're definitely behind a garage. Just sitting out on a table. I mean, the other reason I didn't take any, honestly, is they're probably beyond repair because they've probably been rained on multiple times. And I got my hands full with this Emerson reel-to-reel belt drive recorder that I'm trying to fix. And then I have a JVC steno tape that's a rim drive recorder. I didn't even know about rim drive recorders until I opened up this steno tape. And I was like, where's the belt? Where's the belt? And then I realized that some reel-to-reel tape recorders don't have belts, that they actually... the Capstan is is directly connected to the uptake reel and the supply reel. So I have enough going on. I'm crazy for tape recorders. I've been crazy about tape recorders for two years now, ever since I decided to start making circuit bent music and crazy experimental music and tape loops. These tape recorders, though, Starly, were a bridge too far. Because who knows? Maybe the man who owns this abandoned garage is in love with these tape recorders and thinks they're his family. I don't want to mess up yeah. his whole thing. For the record, when I originally, when I told you about them, I did not know they were on private property. Okay. When you say data, it was like the way people stored data, the way that we stored on hard drives. Is that how they were used? Yeah, they used to use, before they had consumer hard drives, you would use audio tapes. You would hook up a tape recorder to a computer and it would somehow, I don't know how it worked, but it would store the data on a cassette tape. That's what these Yamaha tape recorders were. In theory, does that kind of tape recorder interest you? My understanding of those tape recorders, having done no research and just relying on my memory from my early days in the 80s as a War Games-inspired computer hacker who went to Carolina Computer Camp and learned BASIC, those tape recorders functionally are the same as standard audio tape recorders. So I think they would work. But don't hold me to that, all you computer hackers who are listening to us right now on your tape recorder, because I'm not sure. Could you hook one of those up to a modern day computer and like store the show on one of those? Does it, do they still work as data storage? That's a good... Now that I don't know, but I do think that we should definitely, for our premium Patreon subscribers, start offering EPM on tape, where we mail mm. you each week a cassette of the show. You want to get into mm. esoteric media. That would be cool. You get a tape in the mail every week and it has that week's episode on it. What do you guys think about that? It's a great idea. You also would have to get a recorder sent to you. Rest assured, ladies and gentlemen, there's going to be so much more tape recorder talk on Election Profit Makers. I'm going to keep everybody up to date with my progress restoring this Emerson reel-to-reel and the steno tape and all that. And someday I'm going to talk about the Tiffin recorder where the belt completely melted and came off all over my fingers and pants. And then I sat on a beige sofa and felt like I was fixing to die. And I fixed that one upgrade. I modded the motor so there's a speed control now. So when I put a loop in, I can slow it down. It sounds really sludgy, just the way I like it. But that's enough for today. That's just a peek of the wonderful adventures in antique audio equipment that we have in store for you here at Election Profit Makers. David, you thought you were going to get one over on us by talking about tape recorders and you're going to be like, see, when I talk about what I like, you guys glaze over. This is how it feels when I listen to the VP. Exactly. But I found it really interesting. I have more God questions. I could have listened for hours longer. I don't know if that's because you're a better listener and a more conscientious friend, or if it's just the case that broken tape recorders are literally more interesting than the vice presidential choice. <laughs> we, le- we leave it up to our listeners, whether they would rather tune into MSNBC 
and here Rachel Maddow. Tonight, we're going to do a deep dive on the vice presidential picks, or you turn into MSNBC and Rachel Maddow says, tonight, we're going to do a deep dive into this table of broken tape recorders. I got a lot of tweets last week from people who said they were interested in the VP market. Oh, really? I spoke to a friend who we all know last night who said, bro, you guys are talking about the VP market too much. There's so many other markets. The person you talked to, was it a, ma- a man? Was it a male friend? What makes you say that, Starly? I'm just wondering. I'm just curious. Uh, yes, he, he is a male. Yeah. This friend who said that we talk about the VP market too much and there's so many other markets. What other markets do they think are out there? He said he would just like it if we talked more about some manly markets and some just mm-hmm. like <laughs> cool kind of like guy markets like yeah. muscles and push-ups and uh, uh-huh. stuff like that. No, he he is a Massachusetts native and he's a, a <laughs> left liberal and he wants us to talk about Markey and Kennedy, the Democratic Senate race, a primary in Massachusetts, why that race is so close when Markey is clearly the more progressive choice and Kennedy seems to be running just because he's a Kennedy. And so obviously he has to wind up in the Senate at some point. And Elizabeth Warren endorsed Markey. The late John Lewis endorsed Kennedy. What does that say about John Lewis as an establishment figure, hmm. his rise through the American political system? So I think we should talk about the Marky Kennedy market. It sounds like we just did. In fact, one of our listeners asked us the very same question. Listener Amelia said, are you guys paying attention to the Ed Markey, Joe Kennedy, Massachusetts Senate primary? The race is allegedly tightening, but Markey is still depressingly low rated on predicted. So Amelia, we're going to get to that next week. Election Profit Makers is a Radio Point production with executive producers Alex Bach, Rich Corson, and Daniel Powell. You can please, please support us at Patreon, patreon.com slash electionprofitmakers, where we have bonus episodes, including the long-promised Queen Latifah review. We'll be talking about our favorite Queen Latifah movies. Send your election prediction questions and comments about bass players, tape recorders, or vice presidential markets to contact at electionprofitmakers.com. If you want to join us betting on these markets on predicted.org, go to predicted.org slash promo slash EPM20. You can receive up to $20 in matching funds. You can make a little money along with us. Woo, what a roller coaster ride this was. My microphone cut out three times. My fancy new microphone couldn't handle all the non-PC truths I was spitting into it. It kept shutting down. I'm sure I'm being censored by the left-wing preamp industrial complex trying to compromise my garage man files here. I am David Reese, and I was joined this week by Starley Kine and John Kimball. Bye. Bye. Thanks, guys. Stay safe. What a fucking mess everything is. Goodbye.